Good evening and welcome to a Saturday evening, October the 3rd, 2nd, 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 all right, October the 2nd edition of uh, the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain, and our usual Saturday night guest, uh, Mr. Lucas Doremus. We are going to continue on uh, parables, as far as I know, uh, until further notice, which I'm I am thoroughly enjoying. I hope you are too, if you're tuning in. Uh, so without further ado, uh, Lucas, let us know what we're going to be talking about as far as parables tonight, sir. Absolutely. Yep, we're continuing the kingdom parables. Uh, there's lots of parables about the kingdom uh, yep. that are a little bit separate from the mystery kingdom parables. So yeah, that's what we'll be doing tonight. We're going to be in Luke 18. Uh, a parable, just by way of review, if you want the short definition, is just a picture with a meaning. Um, when Jesus tells parables, what he's trying to do is create a, a picture, a scenario, a situation in your brain that is supposed to give you a meaning and teach you something from it. And so it's a picture with a meaning. That's the simple definition. Uh, and we got through a bunch of parables last time. Uh, the way this goes is we kind of just get through as many as we can get to. Um, and, you know, we find a good stopping place, and that's what we do. And so tonight, we're going to be in Luke 18, and this is the parable of the persistent widow. Um, and so this is, this is a pretty famous parable. People know about this. Um, the audience of this, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Uh, we find that all the way back in Luke 22, um, in, in Luke 20, when he was asked about the kingdom. Uh, it says, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, and so that's why this is part of the kingdom parables. In verse 22 of Luke 17, he says, then he said to his disciples, and he really doesn't break that until all the way until chapter 18, verse 1. Uh, then it says, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So we don't know for sure if the parable, if I'm sorry, if the Pharisees were still in still in earshot, they could have been, uh, but this is definitely directed at the disciples. And we just went the prompt too. This is one of those great parables that we already know what the meaning is before we even start. And so there should be no confusion. The meaning of this parable is that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. That's what the parable is about before we even start it. But we're still going to read it. So we're going to start in Luke 18, verse 2. It says, saying, there was a certain sit, cert, sorry, <laughs> let me start that again. There was, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me and from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So that is the parable. Uh, and what's really nice is verse 6, it says, then the Lord said. So we get Jesus's commentary on the parable immediately. Yeah. In verse 6, it says, hear what the unjust said, judge said. Well, what did he say? He said, I don't fear God nor man, but because of the widow troubles me, I'll avenge her, lest she weary me. So that's why we call it the persistent widow is because this widow was so persistent in asking for justice 
that the judge, even though he didn't care, still was going to get justice for her. Uh, in modern terms, sometimes we would call that the squeaky wheel. <laughs> you know, that's that's exactly what's going on here. So in verse six, it says, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Now we're going to stop there and we'll handle the next the rest of the verse in a second. So God is related to the judge here. Interesting that Jesus relates God to an unjust judge. What he's doing is he's making a comparison. He's saying an unjust judge who doesn't regard man because someone is persistent with him, he is going to avenge them. So the argument here that Jesus is making is God is so much greater than this unjust judge if the unjust judge is capable of avenging, how much more is God yeah. capable of avenging? Absolutely. And so shall God not avenge his own elect and cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Well, we can remember that this parable is about the kingdom. So who's he talking about? He's really talking about the kingdom, a, or sorry, the tribulation believers. Yeah. He is telling them that during the tribulation leading up to the kingdom, you are to not lose heart and pray, and God will avenge you. Justice is coming. Um, it, is, it is a shame how much we don't regard and look at the book of Revelation. I think you would yeah. agree, Pastor Dick. We, we as a, a church body don't spend a lot of time. Revelation is what completes the story. Absolutely. If we don't have revelation, God hasn't come through with all his promises. Um, so we need the book of Revelation is where God avenges every, all the injustice and he becomes the judge. So we have to have the book of Revelation. So if you don't read a lot of the book of Revelation, I encourage you to. Um, the book of Revelation also, it's the only book that has says that if you read it, you're blessed. That's it. And so I highly encourage anybody who doesn't read that book, read it. And if it doesn't make sense, keep reading it and then go listen to Pastor Dick's podcast all about the book of Revelation. Because <laughs> I listened to the whole thing for sure. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, what he says that the second half of verse eight, where we stopped, um, it says, nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Well, what coming is he talking about? The second coming, because this is about the kingdom. When he says, will he really find faith on the earth? Uh, I, I think there's possibly two meanings here. Um, maybe Jesus means one or the other or possibly both. Um, when he says, will he really find faith on the earth? He could be saying that the number of believers at the end of the tribulation is very small. Now, if the rapture happened today, where the world is seven, eight billion people, however many, and all the death that would occur, you know, we could surmise that the the end of the tribulation, the believers is the number is somewhat large. Now, we also know from the kingdom or the kingdom parable about the mustard seed, we know it's going to be very small, but we don't know how small that is. Uh, if there's a if we have some kind of event that decreases the population of the earth quite a bit before the rapture happens, well, that small group could be even smaller. Um, and so we really we really don't know how small it is. 
Um, all I'll say, I don't know how small it is. I'm not a, a predictor of those kind of things. All I'll say is the last time the entire world's population was wiped out and God saved people, there were only eight. That's now, right. In the flood. So it could possibly be eight people that go into the millennium uh, as you know, it, it could be. I'm not saying that's what it is, but we don't know. Now, the other possibility, it says, will he really find faith on the earth? Jesus could be talking about the uh, the losing heart part of this, uh, where he says, you know, we'll, we'll really, basically what I think he's saying is, will he find people that are still praying for God to avenge them at the end of the tribulation, or will they have lost hope? Um, and the tribulation is going to be very bad. Who could blame somebody for losing hope that God's not really going to come through on his promises? Um, but he will, absolutely. And so this is what Jesus is admonishing, that we, no matter how bad the circumstances are going to get, and if you're in the tribulation, it's going to be really bad to pray and not lose heart. Now, First Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 17, it's a very short verse. It says, pray without ceasing. Um, that just means don't stop doing it. It should be a continual practice. Um, and I tell you, Pastor Dick, that's something I struggle with. Um, I struggle to pray without ceasing. <laughs> and it's something I need to work on constantly. When I drive, it oh. makes me pray without ceasing. <laughs> <laughs> and your wife, probably more so, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the New Testament admonition. Um, but I'm going to read a little bit. We've been studying Daniel in another Bible study. Uh, turn to Daniel 7.28. Um, if you need encouragement, believer, read the book of Daniel. Um, and it's going to be a little, I'm going to give you a microcosm um, of what I've really come, a lot of things I've come to appreciate about Daniel. So we know in Daniel, he sees these visions. Um, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and, and Daniel sees these visions in Daniel 7 28 this is right after he sees this great vision of the four beasts it says this is the end of the account as for me Daniel my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed but I kept the matter in my heart uh, Daniel was really disturbed by this vision really disturbed even though in the vision uh, the Ancient of Days comes down and he wins the battle, basically. He's still that greatly disturbed. Um, tur turn and go to Daniel 8.27. This is out of, after the vision of the ram and the goat. It says, I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. So Daniel, again, he's really troubled. He was sick for days because of this vision. Then uh, in chapter 10 of Daniel, it says in those weeks, I Daniel was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth. Holy cow. These visions that Daniel has seen, they are really, really troubling. So much so that Daniel, you could say maybe isn't real healthy because <laughs> he's so troubled from this. Yet, in Daniel 10, 16, it says this, And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips, then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. 
For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, for nor is any breath left in me. Daniel, I think, was ready to just die. I think he was maybe that depressed. Yeah, certainly possible. Verse 18. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Wow. What God says to a man who has seen really, really terrible, the terrible things that are going to happen, and he, even God, can still say, fear not, peace be with you. Yeah. If God can say that to Daniel after he's seen these visions, well, then it's true for us. Absolutely. And in the face of whatever we're facing, we can still fear not and peace be with you. And Daniel responds, he says, so when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. What was Daniel strengthened by? The word of God. So if you are having trouble praying and losing heart, just keep in the word. That's it. In the word. Fear yeah. not. God's going to avenge us. In the end, we do win. And that doesn't mean trouble doesn't happen. It does mean we can fear not and take and have peace. Yeah. My peace I give with you, my peace I leave you, not as the world gives, is what Jesus said. All right, well, I just love that parable, but we'll move on. <laughs> All right, we're going to turn to Matthew 18. That is the next parable. It is the parable of the unforgiving servant. So this is a wonderful parable. Well, I mean... Who am I to say that? They're all wonderful, right, Pastor Dick? <laughs> Who cares what I think it's wonderful or not? It's God's word. It's God's word. So in, in Matthew 18, we know that Jesus is talking to the disciples. Uh, we know that from Matthew 18, 1. And then the prompt for this is Peter. This is verse 21. In Matthew 18, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Up to seven times? Okay, so this is about forgiveness. We already know. Jesus is answering the question, how many times should I forgive? So in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, here's our parable, a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Verse 30, and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Verse 32, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. 
Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to each to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So already when we read this parable and we see somebody delivered up to tortures and things like that, a lot of times our knee-jerk reaction is to think this is a heaven and hell thing. So if I don't forgive my brother, if I'm not forgiving, I won't get into heaven. I won't get into the kingdom. Uh, that can't be true That's because right. we, aren't, we don't get into heaven or we don't get kicked out of heaven because we don't forgive someone else. Um, we are only denied entrance to heaven if we don't believe. That's so, correct. so we know immediately this is not about if, if I don't forgive, I will not go to heaven or if I don't forgive enough times or, or whatever it is. So what is this about? Well, this must be about sanctification. This is about how we treat fellow believers after we're saved. So the, what really is the issue here is if we don't forgive others, there are consequences for our lack of forgiveness. Um, that's what this is about. And so in the kingdom, in the millennial kingdom, the earthly king, kingdom of Christ, there'll be a thousand years on earth, we will have sin. There will be sinners. We will have sin. Sin won't be eradicated until Satan is released after a thousand years and God recreates the new heaven, or sorry, creates the new heaven and new earth. That's right. So, so until then, there will be sin. And if there's sin, there will be a need for forgiveness. And so no matter how many sins someone commits, we are always told to forgive them. And why are we to forgive him? Well, because that's Christ's model. Turn to Romans 5.20. Uh, this is one of my absolute favorite verses uh, because it so clearly explains what grace is and how it operates. In Romans 5.20, um, Paul is just about done explaining justification. He's going to move on to explaining sanctification. In 5.20, Paul says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Wherever there's sin, there's more grace. That's you, right. You can't out-sin God. It's not possible. Whenever you sin, God will always have more grace to forgive you. That's right. So, listener, if you're out there and one of the things you think is, I've made a lot of mistakes, God could never forgive me, I'm here to tell you he can. You can't out sin him. He's always got more grace, forgiveness for you. That's right. And so when we are to operate in, in our lives with this parable, we're to forgive as God forgave, which means we should never stop forgiving. There's no sin committed against us that we can't forgive. And if you, believer, are struggling with that, turn to 1 John 1, 9. Uh, this is also one of my favorite verses because I, I sin a lot. <laughs> and so I need this verse. It says, I remember, if, you were the one that said that. Yeah. Not me. <laughs> In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Now, this verse is not talking about getting saved. You don't have to confess your sins to get saved. You have to believe to get saved. Once you are saved, boy, it's a really good idea to start confessing those sins because that's how you get into fellowship with God. And when you are sinning and you're out of fellowship with God, confess them and he'll always forgive you. Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Turn back to Matthew. I'll actually keep our, keep, kind of keep our finger there. So, so my heavenly father, this is verse 35, will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his trust brother his trespasses. That means that not only will there be forgiveness that we need to forgive people in the kingdom, but there will be sin that has to have justice. Keep your finger in Matthew and turn to Zechariah. Um, it is right before Malachi, which is right before Matthew. So if you're not sure where Zechariah is, just go to Malachi right before Matthew and then go one more book over. In verse 14 of Zechariah, it just makes it, the reason we're reading this verse, it just makes it clear that in the earthly kingdom, there will be sin. Zechariah 14, verse 16, it says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. So for this specific thing that is going to happen every year in the millennium, you're going to go up and keep the feast of tabernacles. If you decide not to come, God will withhold rain from you. And in verse 19, it even says, this shall be the punishment. And the punishment of all the nations that do not come up and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So just as we are supposed to forgive during the kingdom because there will be sin in the first thousand years, God will also have justice in the first thousand years of the kingdom. And it sure sounds like if we don't forgive uh, we will get justice doled out to us, such like the person in the parable. Now, to give you a little perspective on what was going on, uh, the guy that was forgiven and then went out to his fellow servant, you know, beat him up and told him, pay him. Uh, he owed in today's money, uh, where is it? Da, 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 da. Probably close to $60 million of debt. That's a whole lot of money. Now, yeah. the servant he went out and choked, he owed probably roughly eleven to $12,000. And so Jesus is making a distinct contrast that a guy who owed way more than another guy was forgiven everything, and he didn't have compassion on somebody else who owed a lot more. Yeah. And so this forgiveness, you know, in, the, in the, the disciples' prayer, more popularly called the Lord's Prayer, he tells us, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So one of the things we're supposed to pray really all the time is about forgiveness of other people and to ask for forgiveness. Lastly, Dick, and I know you know this verse, Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32, and it says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, God in Christ forgave you. Yeah. Not only did he forgive us, but he also did what, Pastor Dick? He forgot. He forgot it. Forgotten. I think, I think when we've talked about this, I think that's the harder part. 
It is. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. It really is. But 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 God can forget. Yep. Yeah. And you know what? Fact, We're supposed look, to do the same. Book of Colossians says, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I think that's Colossians 3 uh, 13. Mm -hmm. And so how did he forgive us? He forgave us and forgot. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're supposed to do, yep. brother. And as many times as we have to. As many times as we have to. That's right. So what's the provoked thought of this parable? It's really just verse 35. God will make us pay the consequences of our sin if each of us from our heart does not forgive his brother. Now, this parable is about during the kingdom, but the application is exactly the same for us now. Uh, there are consequences when we don't forgive. That's right. Yeah, there is. And so it's just it really, even though it's about the kingdom, it's the perfect application for now, too. Yeah. So if, uh, if you need to forgive somebody, go do it now. Forgive them and then tell them and then forget it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We do uh, one thing we do with my kids is 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 when they do something and, and we have to go through the justice, we always say, I love you and I forgive you. And then we don't talk about it anymore. Good. They're forgiven because I'm trying the best I can with my kids, and I'm not a perfect parent. The best as the best I can, I'm trying to model that the justice is over. I love you, you're forgiven, and I forget it. Yeah. And that's the end of it. So. You know, sometimes, uh, Brother Lucas, we who are forgiven forget that we were forgiven. Mm. Yep. Think about that for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we keep to have to be uh, reminded to all the time that we have been forgiven. Yep. I've got, I've got three forgiveness issues in my life I got to take care of. Yeah. Did you hear that with Brother mm -hmm. Kurt said? Oh, yeah. He's got three issues. See? The way, and we all have them. Yeah we, yeah, we probably all do if we really sat down and count. If we'd um, be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> neither, neither do I, but this one kind of reminded me of them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So we're going to move on to the next parable. Uh, it's just a little bit farther into Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 20, and it's the parable of the vineyard workers. Uh, so we know uh, if you go up a few verses in verse in chapter 19, verse 23, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples. So we know this is a parable to his disciples. Um, verse 27 of chapter 19, it says, then Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Oh, don't you love Peter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I left everything. What am I going to get? <laughs> What's in it for me? <laughs> yeah, what's in it for me? That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, boy, am I thankful for Peter. Um, and I'm th so thankful that God recorded all those things. <laughs> Give me that verse, uh, chapter, verse reference again. That's chapter 19, verse 27. All right. Where he said that. And, you know, little verses like this, you know, this is one of the things that it doesn't prove it, but it sure makes me think that God wrote the Bible, not men. Because, Pastor Dick, if men wrote the Bible, you know Peter would have said, Matthew, just leave that part out. Don't, yeah. don't, <laughs> don't say that I said that. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. Was that the same? That was the same Peter that doubted and disputed with the Lord and even denied him three times. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Yeah. And then the same Peter that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached a and, wonderful sermon. And there were four, but what they say, 4,000 people got saved, isn't it? Now that's the same Peter that got, now you talk about grace. God really extended grace to Peter. Yeah. Oh, how, how I love Peter. Me too. All right. So that is, so Jesus says a few things in chapter 19. Um, most notably in verse 30, he says, but many who are first will be last and last first. And that's actually uh, the provoked thought. So this is another parable that before Jesus even starts, we know what he's going to say. Uh, he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Boy, for a guy that's expecting to get a lot for forsaking everything, that's not really what you want to hear. No, that's for sure. Well, let's read the parable. So this is Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for the denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour. Uh, by the way, the first hour is six o'clock in the morning, 6 a.m. And so the third hour is nine o'clock. Uh, the fifth hour is 11 o'clock and, and so forth, just, in, just so we got our time down. Uh, let's see, verse three, and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Verse four, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, so this is five o'clock in the afternoon, he went out and, and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard saw, said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who were hired about the 11th hour, they were each received a denarius. Now a denarius is one day's wages. Verse 10, but when the, the first came, they supposed that they would receive more and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. And he answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do with what I wish and with my own good things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last for many are called, but few are chosen. What is the point Jesus is trying to get across here? Well, he's really talking about fairness here. When he says that many that are first will be last and the last first, um, we don't know exactly uh, why, why that is or, or what scale Jesus uses or anything like that. But we do know what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 means. So go ahead and turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 um, we know exactly with what standard Jesus uses um, and what motive we have to have and things like that. And so when we're looking at other people, you know, and we, and we don't know exactly how God's going to judge them because we don't know their motives. Uh, I can't crawl inside their head and know why they did something, but God does. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Well, what day is he talking about? He's talking about the day that we stand before God and get our rewards doled out. Uh, verse 13, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now, if we go back to verse 12, wood, hay, and straw all have the same quality to it. They're combustible. They all burn. Gold, silver, and precious stones, when you apply heat to them, uh, it purifies them. Yes. So verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, that means the gold, silver, precious stones, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. So if you build on something with wood, hay, and straw, does that mean you can try to build some on something, but you didn't really mean it, or you didn't do it with the right motive? Absolutely. Um, will God say to me, Lucas, you know, you... You said you were doing this podcast just because you wanted to preach about me, but really you were doing it out of your own pride. Well, I'm going to suffer loss. Yeah, sure will. So my motive's going to, God's going to know my motive. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to suffer that loss. But if I do things with the right motive to build on Christ's kingdom for his glory, then I'm going to get a reward for it. And it says the second half of verse 15, but if he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. That's it. Because your works have nothing to do with you getting in or out of heaven. Amen. You will suffer loss if you don't have a lot of work. And actually, there's quite a few parables that are going to make that very clear. But you're still going to get in. Yep. <laughs> you might have gotten on this by the skin of your teeth. Or you, you can almost feel the smoke on your clothes, but you're going to get in <laughs> yeah. because faith is what matters. That's correct. So what is the, uh, so sometimes when you start talking about rewards, um, I don't hear a lot of people talk about rewards um, and the doctrine of that. Um, I have my suspicions of why. I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail, but one way or another, we don't talk about rewards much. And I have a suspicion that Part of the reason um, is because uh, we think that's selfish. Uh, we think it's selfish to want rewards. Uh, we shouldn't want that. Well, the Bible, every single Bible writer talks about rewards. Um, and a lot of them talk about wanting to earn them or looking forward to earning them. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Oh, yeah. Paul was extremely serious about earning rewards i'm telling you that's about running the race yeah i love this passage so this is first corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 yep it says do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize run in such a way that you may obtain it that's exactly right we are supposed to live our lives as if every reward is worth our full attention, our full training, our full, full focus. That's how we're supposed to go. And, and Paul keeps going, verse 25, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. That means exercises self-restraint in all things. That's what that word temperate means. And so you know that if you're running a race, there are things you shouldn't do. You should not eat apple pie for breakfast. 
if you're right. training you to can, run a race. That's, that's right. If you're going to win, you got to be in shape. Mm-hmm. And, if you're right. gonna, and if you're yeah. going to be in shape, there's things you shouldn't do. That's right. Yep. Uh, let's see. Now, they do it for an imp to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. See, if you go out and train for a marathon and you win, that crown doesn't last. That trophy doesn't last. But the marathon of life, so to speak, <laughs> and yeah. getting that heavenly reward, that doesn't perish. That lasts. Okay. Verse 24, therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Paul knew exactly why he was running. Thus, I fight, not as one who beats the air. Uh, I love that the word translated there, beats the air. It literally means flailing. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of shadow boxing, doesn't it? Shadow boxing, but having no intent. That's it. Not having an opponent to think about. You're just flailing around. That's it. Uh, verse 27, but I discipline my body. That word discipline means to beat black and blue. Well, when you get hit by something, what gets black and blue? The bruise. So Paul was disciplining his body so seriously that he used a word to describe bruising about that. And to bring it into subjection. That word subjection means slavery. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Really, the point I want to get out of here is Paul was extremely serious about living his life in such a way that he would earn as many rewards as he could. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't, uh, he wasn't ashamed to say it. And in fact, that's an encouragement to us. And there's going to be bruises. There's going to be. <laughs> yes, things. there are. But you yeah. got to have the conditioning to get through it. And that's why he says, I keep under my body. He, uh, he's, he stays in shape spiritually. What did you say earlier that, to me or this week earlier, Dick? You said, I just got a broader back. Yep. Yep. That's about what it is. Sure. Um, so, yeah, don't think for a second rewards are this selfish, greedy thing. No, that we want to earn rewards. And Paul was very, very serious about it. Turn to Second Timothy chapter 4. This is right at the end of Paul's life. Um, some think Second Timothy was written even within hours of Paul being executed. Absolutely. Second Timothy verse or chapter four, verse six says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I mean, he's going to die soon. Yep. Verse seven, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Um, Dick, if I, uh, if I know that I'm going to die soon, I hope I can say this at the end of my life. I fought the fight. I kept the faith. I finished the race. Me too. What a, what a wonderful thing to say. Verse eight. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Paul, if there was one thing he was looking forward to at the end of his life, it was earning that crown. You know, I'm going to do a podcast one day on the five crowns that we Ooh. can earn. I'm going to love it. I love it. I do. I look at them all the time so that I can cast them at the feet of my Savior. Now, don't get ahead of me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no that's right but uh okay we'll finish this first the righteous judge will give me on this day and then here's some encouragement and not to me only but also to all who have loved his appearing see paul he looked at himself as the chief of all sinners 
uh, he did he did not look at his rewards as something only he could earn because say he wrote 13 you know 12 13 books of the bible no 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 anybody could earn the same crowns that paul earned and what Absolutely. a wonderful thing amen mm -hmm. yep. and then as you said pastor dick we'll get these crowns and then we'll cast them at jesus's feet that's right you always read read revelation 4 like you said keep reading the revelation and mm -hmm. those people cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus on he was sitting on the mm -hmm. throne. And that's what I'm going to do with my rewards. Yep. And, and it's the perfect picture of God rewarding faithful service. That's right. And those of us who have served, recognizing that we couldn't have earned this crown without you giving us the ability in the first place. Because God is the one who bears fruit. We don't. Absolutely. God is God is the one who brings the increase. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, now all the way back. Boy, that was a tangent. All the way back to the parables. So this is back in Matthew 20. Um, so that's the first will be last, and the last will be first. First. Um, one one other. The only other thing about that when he's you know Peter's you know what am I going to earn? Um, I think. This is just my speculation. I think we're going to be surprised who earns the most rewards in heaven. Um, and, I, and I look at it this way, Pastor Dick. Anyone can pray pretty much any time. Absolutely. That's right. Which, which means, uh, you know, anyone that's, you know, say you don't work in a church or you don't do that, you can still pray. And in 2 Corinthians... I, I love this for I don't understand how exactly prayer works, you know, but I do know I do know this much. I know in Second Corinthians chapter one, Paul talking about the Corinthians says, You also helping together in prayer for us. Yeah. See, Paul knew that prayer helped. I don't quite understand how, but I know it helped. So don't ever think that. If you aren't given some big ministry or you aren't a preacher or you don't aren't the Sunday school teacher, you can pray. And that helps just as much as anything else. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Mm -hmm. You're right. That's so, great. So, so I, I just think I just think we might be a little surprised. Um, it might not be the, the traveling, you know, preachers or the preacher that stood there for 30 or 40 years. And, and, and don't don't hear me say that they won't earn rewards or they aren't faithful. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just that. saying I think we'll be surprised that maybe somebody who prayed in a closet for a couple hours a day for many years of their life. That's a lot of rewards. When I was a pastor, the only way I had any success was if everybody prayed for me. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, who who gets the rewards for that? They do. That's mm -hmm. right. So just just uh, just a little encouragement for you out there, believer. Yeah. But uh, back in back in Matthew, chapter 20. So the so the last will be first and the first last. Well, that whole tangent handles that half. But then he says, for many are called and few are chosen. Mm -hmm. Well, what's what's this talking about? Um, if we're if it's going to be a little surprising who earns rewards, or it's possible that people who don't seem like they have worked as long to earn the same rewards of people who seem like they have worked a long time. Um, what does it mean for many are called, but few are chosen? Well, I think all it's saying is that God has chosen, there are only a few that will be chosen to be productive. 
Now, that doesn't mean we have a lack of free will. It's just that it's the same as his foreknowledge. He knew who was going to be productive. Therefore, he chose them to be productive. Acts 15, 18 says, known unto God are all his works from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I don't question him. So God already knows there are lots of people that are going to be called to do works, but few are going to be very productive with them. Turn right. to John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Um, this is a little admonition and, and one that I think about occasionally. 1 John 2, 28, it says, And now little children abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Uh, when the rapture happens, there will be, I don't know exactly how long it'll be or you know where it will occur exactly. For some people, there will be a moment of regret and they will know what just happened and they will be ashamed that they did not live their life in a more productive way. Um, and so that, that's what the Bible is saying here. For many are called, few are chosen. Um, not many people are going to be productive. So believer, if you're listening, be one of those productive people. Go home, read your Bible, pray, um, do those things and be productive to earn those crowns. Um, one, la one last encouragement on that. Colossians 2 verse 10. Or sorry, no, that's, boy, that's not the right verse. What did I write down here? Don't you love it when you write down the wrong thing? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. It takes me hours to correct it. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely <laughs> wrote down that. Oh, here we go. I'm sorry. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And don't you hate it, Curtis, when you find a mistake in your book? <laughs> uh, gee, I haven't found any. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do hate yeah. that. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I just. Usually, usually Curtis says, is that a real question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just found one and now I'm going to have to put a mark on it. And yeah, <laughs> okay. Colossians chapter three, verse 10, it says, and, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. Yeah. So put on the new man, um, be, be, you know, in, endure, you know, it's good. It's going to be hard. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. But you know what? Endure anyway. Okay, so let's see. Let's move on. We got time for one more parable. Uh, this is the parable of the two sons. This is Matthew chapter 21, uh, starting at verse 28. Now, this is a excellent parable um, that really helps us understand that God does not desire anyone to perish, but all to be saved. That's right. So the way we're going to start this is the audience of this, uh, they are the uh, Pharisees and the chief elders, the priests, and anyone else in the temple. Uh, we know that from chapter Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, and a couple verses after that. So Jesus is in the temple, and we know the chief priests and elders and Pharisees, they're confronting him, but whoever else is there, they're going to hear this, most likely. Now, the prompt here is from Matthew 21, 23. It says, now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Now, 
that's a little interesting. Um, the Pharisees already knew very well where Jesus's authority came from. Um, if we go to John chapter eight, and we'll flip around a little bit here. I'm just I'm going to read them. If you can't get there, just on, on time, and and that's okay. Um, John chapter eight verse thirteen. It says, "The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. You witness your witness is not true.'" Jesus answered and said to them, "Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one." And if yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. Verse 18, I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of my, me. Jesus told them very plainly where his authority came from, the Father. Very, very plainly. Now, this was not the first time. Uh, it, John chapter 11, verse 45, um, actually, da, 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 da. Yeah, I'm not going to read this whole passage, but the Jews were already planning on killing Jesus. Yeah. So in Matthew chapter 1, this is after Jesus has entered Jerusalem the last time. He's going to be crucified in a few days. When they come and confront him by what authority, they are not really asking what authority he is. They already know that. They are confronting him in a way to try to trap him. So what does Jesus say? I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. This is Matthew chapter 21, verse 25. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe it? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. The Pharisees knew that Jesus had just put them between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. They knew that whatever they answered, they were going to look very, very bad. And that's what Jesus did to them because he knew that he, to give them a straight answer again of my father is the one I get authority. That's not what they're looking for. Because there's something they're not really asking that. So Jesus doesn't tell them. And then he starts a parable. So this is Matthew 28, or excuse me, chapter 21, verse 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Verse 30, then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he said, I go, sir. But he did not go. That's the parable. But then Jesus uses the parable to interrogate the Pharisees. Verse 31, he says, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. This parable. This is Jesus giving a chance to the Pharisees to say, yeah. you can still believe in me. Now, Jesus knew they wouldn't. The, the kingdom had already been, they had already rejected the kingdom a long time ago. But isn't it interesting how they are still getting a chance? Because Jesus is telling them very plainly, you rejected my message. 
you can still be like the tax collectors and the harlots and believe. That is what he is saying in this parable. So because of this, uh, it is always better that if you say you're going to do something and don't do it, it is always better to do it in the end than not do it. And so always do, if you say I'm going to do something and don't do it, it's not too late. Do it. And if you say you're not going to do something, change your mind. Do it because that's the right thing. Yeah. Now, that goes into our, our, our gospel message. If you have rejected God before, there is still time left. The time, the time can be now. Now, we don't know how much time is left. It could be very short. But there is time right now for you to change your mind and believe in Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. Don't be like the Pharisees who did not change their mind. See, they thought they were doing all the right things. They thought they had it figured out. But they were the second son who were giving lip service or saying, yes, we, we trust you, God. We believe in you. And they did not. So be like the first son. If you've rejected Christ up until now, believe. Believe that he died for you and he gives you eternal life. Be like that first son. Amen. And I think that that is an excellent stopping point uh, because yeah. I think the next parable will take a little bit of time. So we're, we're a little bit short today, but I think that's all right. I think it is too. It gives me time uh, to, get, to help you with this. And, and let's give an invitation to all those who are listening. We've been heard in 45 states and 28 foreign countries. Oh, nine. And how many? 29? 29. Okay. So, and so if you're listening, you're hearing the gospel message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Doesn't say anything about doing good works. Uh, it just says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Please do it today. Good one, Mr. Doremus. Thank you so much for these parables, and, and we appreciate you a lot more than you know. So. Well, I, I, I appreciate you guys a lot, too. Thanks for letting me talk at you. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. So long. And this is your host, Kurt Chamberlain, thanking Lucas Doremus once again for uh, some, some uh, wise instruction on uh, concerning parables uh, tonight's lesson i want to thank you personally for because it was a reminder uh that i have a few forgiveness issues i need to tend to he was hoeing down our row wasn't he well, he was hoeing down mine i can tell you that. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily feel all that good to, to be reminded however uh boy it, it'll feel good after i get it resolved mm -hmm. so thanks for the reminder lucas i appreciate it well, I think um, that's that's what, and you know, he's your dad, so he's probably told you. I think that's what we call the two by four moments. Boy, oh boy! When God hits you on the head with a two by four. Absolutely <laughs> correct. Absolutely correct. And I think, you know, everybody that's listening can probably relate to the same having the same kind of issues, and and, uh, and now I know how to deal with it a little bit better, and uh, I I plan to do that. So thanks, brother. Appreciate that. <laughs> to God right. be the glory. <laughs> yeah, amen. amen. Okay, listen, 
for, for everybody that's listening and have enjoyed this instruction. We'll be doing it again next Saturday evening at approximately the same time, around 7.30 p.m. Uh, Central, Central time. time here in the United States. Um, wherever you're listening from, do the math. Okay. Okay, I'm not doing it for you. Uh, <laughs> you know when you know when we're gonna be here. Tune in, listen in, and and be blessed just like we are to be doing this. And and uh, Lucas, thank you once again. You have a blessed week, my brother. And we will be hollering at you again uh, for some more instruction in, on parables next Saturday evening. Uh, until then, this is the Christian Underground News Network signing off until Tuesday morning when we will be with Dr. J.B. Hickson once again. So uh, please tune in and listen then. Until then, God be with you. Uh, may he bless you and keep you. And we'll talk to you again soon. Good night.